The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Philippians 2, 19-30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in, in the Lord that shortly I will, myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to more, uh, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may, be, may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Russ Ramsey. I'm one of the pastors at Christ Pres, and uh, I'll be starting a third site uh, later this summer, uh, which I'm really, really excited about in this fall, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you. I've, I've been here a few times, so we, many of us, we know each other a little bit, but um, I love that we get to unpack this passage of Scripture. I love the book of Philippians. It's long been one of my favorites, if you're allowed to have a favorite book of the Bible, man, this one just has so much. It just, it, it has so much. So I want to start with a question, and the question is this. Who, who are we to each other? Like, who matters to you? Who matters in your life? Do the people who matter to you know that they matter to you? Have you told them? Have you told others about the people who matter to you? Do you feel and show affection for the people that you love. Today's passage is a passage that stands out in Paul's work because of how personal it is. This is a very personal part of this letter. These, these words are affectionate words from a heart that has been bared for his readers to see, and we have a lot to learn from it. I want to be a little vulnerable with you here at the beginning um, of this message and just confess to you that I've been emotionally all over the map um, this week. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, a few days ago, I returned from an 11-day trip to Ireland with my son, our oldest. Uh, It was our graduation gift to him um, that it would be just he and I and we would go across the ocean and we would have this grand adventure hiking overseas. I can't begin to tell you how much fun that we had. And if you were around me leading up to this trip, I just, you know that I just talked about it and talked about it all the time. I couldn't wait to go. But but it wasn't just exploring Ireland that was the excitement. It was that I got to be with my son. 
I got to be with my oldest child who I love. And I'm just so proud of him. I'm so proud of who he's become. And so I looked forward to the time that we would spend together hiking around and talking about heart level stuff. You know, two Ramsey men learning how to live well in a world that's just broken in so many ways. That's what I looked forward to the most. And the Lord gave us a lot of time for that. Uh, In fact, he gave us three additional days for that because my son lost his passport. Um, (laughs) And so we we got to go to the U.S. Embassy together and uh, spend an additional three days in the land because of holiday weekends and bank hours and and that sort of thing. And it was great. It was great. If you have to get stranded in a foreign country, if you have to be denied access into your homeland, Ireland's not a bad place for that to happen. But I want to know my son. I want my son to know who I am to him. I want to know, I want him to know who he is to me. I want to give him memories that will flow out of him later when he talks about me. You know, stories of of love and joy and depth. And man, as a parent, my hunger to get to the heart of my kids, to love them, to equip them for life, that can be like a consuming fire, right? If you're a parent, you know that feeling. But you also know that it can be a profoundly helpless feeling because there's only so much influence I can have in shaping another person's heart. And so I I pray and I ask the Lord to overcome my shortcomings and my failures as a dad. I ask him to shape and to grow the hearts of my children so that they would know him, so that they would love him, that I would play some role in their spiritual formation. And my heart has just been so full of that sort of love and passion. And I'm still coming down off the high of our time together over there. But then with that, you know, I come home and I hear the news that fashion designer Kate Spade and the writer and chef Anthony Bourdain both took their lives this week. And it hit me deep. Now, I've never been personally invested in either one of those people. I know about them. I know about their work. But after this week of deep heart-level stuff with my son, I find that I'm grieving the sorrow and the loneliness that must have belonged to Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain that would lead them to the kind of desperation that they would end their lives. I don't know the circumstances behind either story, but what I do know is this. I know that two people who seemingly had it all who were celebrated around the world, despaired to the point of death. And I can't help but wonder, was there some nagging sense in either of them that though their names and their products were known around the world, that maybe they felt that they were not? Did they feel known? Did they feel seen? Were they loved for more than just their celebrity? I'm sure they were, but did they, did they know that in those crucial moments of decision? 
And then we come to a passage like today's in Philippians and we see something remarkable happening. We see Paul celebrating the lives and the friendships and the value of these two very dear friends. And he's doing so by writing about them to other people that he knows and that he loves very deeply. And so today I want to take a few minutes together just to learn from what's happening in this passage and invite us to risk some vulnerability for the sake of pouring life into the people around us, those we love, those with whom we work and walk through this life. So, so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to look at how this passage unfolds and then have a couple application points at the end and then we'll come to the Lord's table together. But this, this passage, it gives us a unique look at the Apostle Paul because so much of his writing revolves around rich theological teaching and explanation but today's text is this, is this personal thing, right? It's affectionate. It's from the heart. And because it is, it is deeply theological in a different way than, say, those big systems of doctrine and theology that he lays out in books like Galatians and Romans. Today we get a theology of friendship. We get a theology of affection from one of the leaders in the early church. This passage is about who these people are to each other. And I guess one of the big applications that I want us to take away from this morning is how important it is that we speak those words, those, that we articulate who we are to each other. It's so easy to go through life and not really do that. We just assume, I assume you know who you are to me, I know who you are, who I am to you, and we just never really, we never really say the words, we never really say them, but it's so vital that we do. First, a little bit of context. Paul is writing this letter, as we know, from prison. He's told us already in chapter one that he's awaiting a trial, and it's a trial that could result in his death in today's passage. He reveals to us in verse 24 and in verse 19, he reveals to us that he doesn't think it's going to end that way. But he does know that it's a possibility that this could end with his death, his martyrdom. And yet this letter resounds with these two overarching themes, this theme of joy in the Lord and God's faithfulness to him, to him. And this theme of just a deep, deep love for those to whom he writes. He's got the joy of the Lord and he's in an audience that he, that he loves. And so Paul's joy in the Lord and his love for the Philippian church reveal a kind of strength in Paul that I think we can admire and learn from because we see in Paul, this leader in the church, an ability to see past his own circumstances to something greater. And so that's the context of today's passage. In this passage, we really get to know three people, four if you count the Philippian church. But we get to know Timothy, Epaphroditus, and by way of the words written, we get to know Paul a little bit. And so I want to give a little context for their stories before we make some application. And I'll probably make some application as we go. But Timothy, let's start with him. Timothy was with Paul when he first brought the gospel to Philippi. So Timothy was on the missionary journey when Paul brought the gospel to Philippi, we learn from 1 Timothy that Timothy became a Christian through his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And we learn that Lois and Eunice became Christians through the ministry of Paul. 
And so Timothy has this foundation of faith. He's come to believe in Christ through the ministry of Paul by way of Paul's ministry to Timothy's mother and grandmother. I love this. I love that the Bible, it's like breadcrumbs, these little details, right? There's not a lot of of narrative given to us about people's backstories. But here with Timothy, you get this. You get that he really is a kind of a spiritual son to Paul because of Paul's ministry to Timothy's mother and grandmother. I'm a person who came to faith through my parents' faith, right? My mom would pray for me every morning. My parents are first-generation Christians, and they, they, they became a part of a Catholic church when I was a kid. They heard the gospel there, and my mom would pray for me every morning, and she would do so by coming into my room with a, with a, a bottle of holy water that she kept in the refrigerator, and she would say a prayer over me, and she would anoint my head with, with holy water every morning, this ice-cold little bath of prayer. Um, and the deal was she would, she would pray that I would come to know the Lord. And she wouldn't leave until I said amen, which was my white flag of surrender that I'm going to go ahead and get up and start the day. I remember that, right? I remember seeing her with her Bible and her coffee every morning, starting to pray, uh, starting her day with prayer. I remember words of wisdom and correction from both of my parents growing up. I remember their example of faithfulness to the Lord and how it had a profound impact on my life. In other words, I had people behind me which led to my coming to faith. Timothy is a person who had people behind him People who nurtured his faith. Imagine everybody in this room, if we went around and passed a microphone, you could name people. You see, these are the people who were behind me. These are the people who remain behind me. And so when Paul came through Timothy's hometown, Elystra, on a second missionary journey bound for Philippi, Timothy, zealous for the Lord, young, but zealous for the Lord, joined him. He was all in. And in our passage, Paul talks about Timothy's character. He says he was greatly concerned for your welfare. He cared about the interests of others. And of course, the Philippians knew this, and they knew this because they knew Timothy. He was there when Paul first preached the gospel in their city. He was one of the first Christians they ever met. And Paul is now holding him forth to them as a good example of what a follower of Christ is like. We also learn that Timothy was, was a nervous type. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells him, drink a little bit of wine, not just water, but a little bit of wine when your stomach gets all twisted in knots. So Paul has this relationship with Timothy where he's, 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 it's a father-son relationship. And the boy was young and he was nervous, but man, he was brave. He was brave. He traveled He faced persecution alongside Paul. He served the Philippians to the point that they all came to love him, to the point that we now know about him. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? That we know about Timothy because of these breadcrumbs of faith. Timothy was somebody that Paul introduced to the Philippians. And collectively, they all loved him. And Paul didn't hold back in expressing that affection. He spoke of Timothy as a gift he hoped to send them soon. Epaphroditus, now, was somebody that the Philippians introduced to Paul. 
So he was presumably one of those in Philippi who heard the gospel through Paul and Timothy and came to believe. And it seems that the Philippians, because of verse 25, that they sent Epaphroditus to Paul to be, quote, their messenger and minister to my need. So the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul to deliver a gift to look after him while he was in prison for as long as was necessary. He was an emissary. Somewhere in this process, we learn that Epaphroditus became gravely ill and that people in Philippi heard about it and that they were worried about him. Epaphroditus didn't want them to worry, so he stayed with Paul as long as needed. But then Paul sensed Epaphroditus wanted to return to his friends, reassure that he was okay. And so what Paul did is Paul sent him back. I love the way that Paul does this. We see this in the way that he uh, kind of handles situations. Because here in verse 28, what we see is Paul owns Epaphroditus' return to Philippi. He owns it as his idea. I'm sending him back to you. And what that does is that takes the pressure off of Epaphroditus to explain why he'd come back earlier than maybe was possibly expected. So when Epaphroditus shows up in Philippi, they're not going to look at him and say, why are you back so soon? He can say, because the Apostle Paul sent me to you because he knew that you were concerned about me. I love the way that he's doing this because what Paul is doing in this situation is he's loving Epaphroditus. He wouldn't have just been sad for the Philippians if he had died. It would have been sad for Paul too. Paul counted Epaphroditus' health as God's mercy on him. And then verse 29, when Paul writes, receive him with all joy, we get another little breadcrumb. And the breadcrumb is this. We learn that Epaphroditus was actually the person who delivered the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians. They're reading the letter and the letter is saying, receive him. Receive him well. Receive him as proof that he is alive and well. And so like Timothy, Epaphroditus risked his life for the gospel, almost died for it. And also like Timothy, Epaphroditus' friendship was a source of great joy. And then you have Paul. Here's Paul. He's He's a key leader in the birth of Christianity. Paul lived a dangerous life. Nearly every city that he brought the gospel to rejected him or persecuted him in some way. He was often beaten and imprisoned. I just think there's something, um, I don't know if funny is the right word, but you tell me if this is just a little bit humorous, is that the lead pastor of Christianity at the time just spent a lot of time in jail, you know? There's something about, like today, if, 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 uh, if you were to say, yeah, my pastor, he's just in jail a lot, um, it would make people say, maybe you need to reconsider what it is that you're doing. But Paul spent a lot of time being beaten and imprisoned, and he had these people that were with him. But Paul, man, he was this theological genius. He was a genius. He was somebody who understood the things of God by the revelation and help of the Holy Spirit in ways few others ever would. He was always the smartest, the boldest, and the toughest guy in the room. He was a guy that would go alone if he had to. But here we see a leader 
who is modeling humility by holding nothing back in his words of affection and praise for these men who are young. But they came alongside him and they risked their lives to serve with him and they brought him joy. And so here in Paul's words of affection and praise, you hear a man in a position of strength confessing this need that he has for other people. It's very easy to put on a front when it comes to difficult circumstances, isn't it? I mean, it's just easy to do. It's easy to say, the response that I should have facing out right now, I'm suffering, but the response that I should have is that I'm strong. And so we pretend we're stronger than we are. We can say the right things. We adopt a posture of strength. We muscle through. We act like we don't need anyone, like we got this. And I imagine a show of hands in this room would indicate that this is how many of us feel we're going through life right now, is that we're adopting an outward posture of strength. We're trying to convince others and ourselves that we're fine. And do you know what you have to do if you're going to adopt that posture? You have to be a person of few words. You can't say much, which means you can't say to somebody who loves you, Thank you for being a source of strength to me when I'm weak. Thank you for walking alongside me in things where there's just a lot of uncertainty. See, look, if we're honest, many of us would say we're barely holding on. That life is crazy, the struggles and the pains run deep, relationships are fragile, we're burdened by the cares of this world, and we don't want to be a burden to other people. Do you know how spiritually unhealthy it is to not want to be a burden to other people? Because guess what? For every meaningful relationship that you have in your life, you are a burden to that person. It's supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be people who need each other. We're supposed to be people who have deficits and weaknesses that other people complement. When I was pastoring in Kansas City a number of years ago, there was a woman who came to our church who had seizures every Sunday. Every Sunday she had seizures. And uh, she would have them kind of around the same time in the service. She had a background of abuse. And uh, she just would, things would trigger. She wanted to be in church. Her abuse was related to the church, but she was coming to church. And when, right around the time the sermon would start, she would start to have a seizure. And she knew it was coming. And she would stand up and she would begin to walk to the back of the room. And she had just like about 20 feet before she, she fell on the ground. And she would do this every week. And there were people in the church, doctors and just other people who, who just kind of learned this about her. And so they sat near her. And when she got up to walk to the back, they would kind of get up and walk to the back with her and they would help her down onto the floor and she would have her seizure and then she would just be spent and exhausted and then somebody would have to drive her home. And that was just about every Sunday. I'm not making that up. And one day she called me and she said, um, I'm thinking about leaving the church. And I was like, Why? And she said, I just feel like I'm a burden on everybody. And I said, well, you are. <laughs> and it's one of the best moments of the week for all of these people. Do you know that there's a group of people, about 30 people in the church every Sunday, who have used the Sunday school hour to meet to discuss how to care for you. 
that there's a sign up to make sure that somebody's going to be there to care for you every Sunday. If you leave, you take away something that is spiritually really important and precious to these people. And so she stayed and kept having her seizures. And people in our church were no longer just coming and checking a box on Sunday morning, but they were on alert to care for this person. Today's text gives us some guidance in how to love and lead and live well as followers of Christ. And it comes down to something really so simple and so vulnerable, and it's this, showing affection to the people we love. I mean, that's as simple as it gets. Show affection to the people you love. I want to conclude with three application points very quickly along these lines. The first is this, risk bearing your heart to other people. It's a basic starting point, but we're emotional beings. Our emotions are not, as N.T. Wright reminds us, merely surface noise. They're a part of how God made us. They're vital because when Jesus sums up the whole law of God, what does he say it, res- it comes down to? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourselves. Our emotions are part of who we are. Are you somebody who risks love and friendship or are you wounded and so wounded that you're just done bearing your heart with people I promise you there's only loneliness down that path we think it's a road to safety I'm just going to protect myself but it's not what it is it's a road that's littered with dead hearts and isolation so choose this week to risk letting somebody see your heart Go a level or two deeper than you normally do in your words of affection and in your love. Second, let people see your weakness. Let them see, this is so important. It's so important that we let people see our weakness. Paul's writing from this truly helpless place. In the eyes of the world, he's in prison, he's helpless. He doesn't have a posture of strength. And it would be so easy for any of us in that situation, whether it's an actual prison or a medical, metaphorical prison of addiction or relational dysfunction or whatever, to just clam up and to wait for the situation to get better before reaching out. But what does that gain us if we do that? Why are we so committed to appearing as though we have everything together? What value does that add to anyone? Part of Paul's praise of Timothy and Epaphroditus centers on how they served him when he was weak. His weakness was an opportunity then to celebrate the faithfulness of his friends. See, if I hide my weakness, then I deny those people in my life the opportunity to be for me what God has called them to be. I deny them the opportunity to be helpers, to be encouragers, to be givers, to be burden sharers. If I never share my weakness, I'm being a bad friend. But if I do share my weakness, then my friendships become a source of great potential for joy because my victories then are doubled because you helped me and my burdens are cut in half because I'm not doing this alone. But if I hide my weakness and pretend I don't need anyone for anything, then I forfeit all of that for some, what, unrealistic image that makes me in the end unknowable. So let people see your weakness. 
And then finally, speak words of life to one another. This can feel risky because I just don't think we're very good at this. I don't think people in general are very good at speaking words of life to one another. It feels risky, it feels mushy, it feels uh, a little sappy sometimes. But celebrate the people you love with your words. It requires things, right? It requires paying attention to the people in your life. If you were to write a letter to somebody you love about someone that both of you love, what would you say? Often we'd need a minute to think about it, right? To figure it out. Because we don't really, I mean, we're just a self-absorbed culture. We don't really think about other people that much, do we? But in today's passage, Paul gets specific. He gets specific about Timothy. He gets specific about Epaphroditus. He loves them. He explains why he loves them. He bears his heart. And I firmly believe that what we're seeing Paul do here requires practice. It's, we talk about the Christian life as something we practice, right? We practice the Christian life. That doesn't mean we go to church on Sunday. It means that we rehearse spiritual disciplines. And one of those spiritual disciplines is speaking words of life to other people. It's something that we practice. We practice seeing each other. We practice paying attention. We practice forming words of affection and praise. We're not good at it at first. We're all, you know, what's the expression? We're all knees and elbows, you know? We're, we're just kind of awkward, in this process, we're not good at it, but it's a skill to develop and it's a worthy skill to develop. So practice it. Think of the words that these friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus, must have given to Paul. Think of the words Timothy's mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, gave to him to prepare him to give words to Paul. which Paul then returns the favor. Words are some of the most life-giving things that we have to give, so why do we withhold them? I love passages like this one because it affirms two things. It affirms that life can be very hard. It's filled with trial, filled with loss, filled with need and suffering, but it also affirms that life can be filled with joy at the same time because we just don't have to live our lives in isolation. We don't. When God made Adam, he said it was not good for the man to be alone. But God didn't just give Adam Eve. We understand this, right? That through Eve, God gave humanity others. He gave Adam and Eve others. He gave them community. Adam didn't just need a spouse. He needed other people, and we all do. In today's passage, we see the importance of that being lived out. And so I pray that as we come to the Lord's table and as we go from this place, that we would go practicing the art of friendship and encouragement through the generosity of our words. And I pray that those words would be filled with life-giving affection and with the selfless celebration of the gift of others. Let's pray together.